Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Sun's Jam Session podcast. We appreciate you jamsters joining us once again. My name is John. I'm joined by Matthew. How are you doing this fine Friday evening, sir? Really good, John. How are you doing, man? Doing good, man. How was your week? Uh, it was a big blur. I don't remember. A lot of stuff going on around the house, uh, a lot of things going on in my life, but I'm very happy to be on the pod today. Awesome. I uh, accomplished two things this week. I watched Avengers Infinity War, and then I watched Avengers Endgame right after it. Yeah. And then I beat the Call of Duty campaign mode. <laughs> oh, did you? Okay. Well, that it was super fun, that's man. That's exactly what I did. So. <laughs> God, this quarantine is killing me. I really need to uh, get back out in the world and start working again. Yes. Uh, yeah. It'll so. be here soon, hopefully. Oh, I know. Well, we'd like to thank everybody for joining us. And we're super excited because we're actually going to have Dave King on. He's the managing editor of Bright Side of the Sun. And he's going to talk sons with us, go through some mailbag questions, a lot of things and topics that we've been talking about over the past few weeks on our pods. We're actually going to get kind of Dave's uh, opinion on. So super excited to have him on. Aren't you, aren't you, Matthew? Yeah, it's good to have a celebrity on, man. Well, we've had two celebrities on already. So Flex and then now Dave King. I know, man. They're really famous. I people. get nervous, super nervous. Talking <laughs> to these guys. I know. I'm like, I just, I hope I know what I'm talking about. And yeah. then I realize it's the sons. I'm like, oh yeah. I yeah, if I, if I get a few agreements or yeahs, and I'm like, oh, perfect, all right, thank you. <laughs> so without further ado, I think I'm going to pop open a beer because it's Friday night and I'm feeling all right. So let me pop this open. Let's, uh, let's have Dave King on, huh? All right, it is Friday evening, and we're super excited to welcome to the podcast our illustrious leader at Bright Side of the Sun, Mr. Dave King. How are you doing, sir? Doing awesome. Thanks for coming on the Sun's Jam Session pod. Hey, this is great. I'm really glad we added you guys to the network. You guys are are power brokers in the podcast world. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. I love it. I just love it. I think uh, this this is really cool. You guys are keeping up this podcast through the through the whole quarantine. Yeah, it's all fun. I think we enjoy it. So it's not really that hard of a thing to do. You know? Well, that's for me. It's always been that way for me and website. We've kept our, our once a week pod going and, and there's always stuff to talk about. People ask me, like I've got yeah. friends who go, what do you even talk about? I'm like non-Suns fan <laughs> friends go, what do you even talk about? And the Suns fan friends are, are still asking me, so what do you think of who should we get next year? You know? yeah. <laughs> of course there's stuff. There's always stuff. There is. There's 50 years of history, so There's 50 it never years ends. Plus future. There's 50 years of yep. future to talk about, too. Yep. Yeah, I don't know how we've come up with as much content as we have over this past, like, eight weeks. But, you know, it might but not be great. good content, but it's, it's there. Well, people appreciate it. <laughs> they definitely appreciate it. Well, and we'd like to thank those Jamsters again for tuning in. So what we have is we have oh, a few jamsters. different – That's what we call them. That's yeah. Like, that's the name. Yeah. They're know, like, like hamsters, <laughs> but there are little Jamsters. It's cute, right? That is awesome. Because is our that listeners are about adorable. Yeah. Yes, they're adorable. Yeah. Little Jamsters. <laughs> and so we see what they really look like then. I'm just joking. <laughs> we shouldn't say they, they. We should say you because they're the only ones listening right oh, now. Oh, no, yeah. Oh. Yeah. These, are the tri- right. these are the tried and true fans right here. Listen yes. to this yeah. right now. We love you. Of course, we love you. We are you. <laughs> we just happen to have microphones. That's the only difference. That's it's exactly it. what it is. So, yeah. so without further ado, let me pop into some of these questions that uh, I've been taking a look at some articles that have come out this week. Plus, we have some uh, mail back at the end with a few of our Jamster uh, 
questions. So awesome. the, the one thing we continually get questions about is drafting a point guard. And I think we've discussed it on the pod about three or four times. Uh, Matthew and I both agreed to trade the pick, regardless of what that pick is. I don't care if it's the number one pick this year. I want to trade it. And that's my opinion. We'll ask you, Dave, what you think here in a second. But uh, everybody keeps asking about Killian Hayes and Tyrese Halliburton. So I was wondering if you guys had any insight into these guys that maybe I'm missing or, uh, or maybe there's some, you know, emphatic thing out there that everybody needs to know about these guys. Go ahead, Matthew. You want me to go first? Okay, I'll go first. So I watched videos of these guys last night. Finally, like honestly, going to the, to the draft, I don't really know a lot of the guys besides Leangelo Ball. Uh, mm-hmm. Killian Hayes, though, first thing when I watched him play, reminds me of Manny Ginobili. He really does. Uh, he's very confident when he brings the ball to the hoop, um, meaning which he can finish hard. He actually dunks the basketball at 6'5". And I think um, – oh, my God, dude, I'm doing t- – <laughs> No, you're, it's a good point. No, I know. This I know. is the just, stuff I always edit out, Dave. I'm just nervous around our celebrities. So. <laughs> well, you go to that trouble. We just leave that shit in. No, yeah, no, just leave it in. Um, but no, I just think he has great size. It says he's 6'5", but he looks taller for some reason on the court, um, maybe because he's playing around like smaller people. I don't know what it is, but uh, definite yeah, power around the rim. Yeah, playing in Europe, so that might be the, the reason why. Um, I think he he has great – um, potential of being a great shooter but that's the thing it's like these these guards that come into the NBA like they can't shoot yet and a lot of players are the same way I mean it, besides being a center or a four like a lot of them can't shoot and I don't know what that is we talked about it last time on our pod a little bit like they don't focus on that they really just hone in their actual skills and he's like a playmaker yeah so I mean I like him um, I like the other guy we're gonna talk about later better okay. but I can I can see him being a good backup point guard for the Suns to learn under Rubio Okay. Yeah, I'm not quite sure about uh, Killian Hayes. I think um, he obviously – he looks like he can play basketball. So there's a good sign. You know, as opposed to some of the guys who've been drafted by the Suns in the last few years, <laughs> yeah. didn't look like they were basketball players yet, and we all hoped that they would be developed by our, our coaching staff and uh, franchise, and that didn't happen. Um, I think there was a disservice to – well, it was A – uh, drafting immature players who didn't want to take ownership of their own careers. I always put the on- onus on players. You've got to develop your own skills. Mm-hmm. Jared Dudley made himself a player. Nobody made Jared Dudley a player. He made himself a player out of nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that dude is just like us. I mean, no, he's, he's sorry. He's, he's one of the top <laughs> athletes in the entire world. I get it. But compared to the rest of the NBA, he's not. And, but he made himself a player. So I put the onus on players to develop their own skills. They have all summer to do that kind of stuff. However, the Suns did him no did those guys no favors. Josh Jackson, they allowed him to be immature and not hone his skills. They had Marquise Chris, Dragon Bender, all those guys. So when I say Killian Hayes looks like he knows how to play basketball, that's a big compliment. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's like calling him someone like maybe a more athletic uh, Cam Johnson, maybe a more athletic uh, Ty Jerome as far as dynamic, you know, ability to play. He does remind me we're just watching him and maybe I'm, I'm irrationally um, focusing on his, his left-handed stroke, but he makes me think of D'Angelo Russell, which, you know, D'Angelo Russell got a max contract uh, just this past year. So obviously that means he can be a very good player, but it, it also tells me that he's just as much a shooting guard as he is a point guard. 
which means it's possible he won't have really a position in the NBA. And so maybe he's always going to be a rotational uh, flamethrower off the bench, which can, which can be very good. It would be, he would probably step in as the best backup behind Rubio and Booker, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Then the Suns had, the Suns had last year, we all know they had Elliot Kobo, uh, you know, guys like that, right? Ty Jerome, who was completely unready for the NBA, um, um, uh, Tyler Johnson, and Javon Carter. Thank Mm you. Um, And Javon, look, man, the guy plays his ass off every second he's on the court, but he's not a playmaker and he's not a shot creator. Um, Whereas Killian Hayes is those things. So he'd be interesting. He'd be really interesting. He'd be better than Jalen McHugh. Having said all that, do I really want to bring in another 19-year-old um, into, the, into the organization and try to make him a, a rotational player that would be your third guard? No, I'd rather have the Suns go to someone more veteran, someone more proven who won't come out and, and just inexplicably shoot 30% from the field his first year because he doesn't know how to play against NBA players. So long story short, he's got higher talent than most any backup guard that the Suns had last year. But he doesn't have the talent that I'd want to throw him out there necessarily immediately and see him blossom. Yeah, I think I, I can speak for a lot of Suns fans when I say I'm tired of seeing the projects. And Killian Hayes and Tyrese Halliburton and anybody, you know, LaMelo Ball, anybody that we draft would have to be another project for the Suns. And I kind of feel like we're beyond that point. You know, it's – it's time to bid adieu. At least, at least Lamelo Ball would be interesting, right? Yeah, he, he's Julian Hayes would just be like, oh man, can we? Can you just play in the G League a little bit? Yeah, to yeah. Straight. Whereas Lamelo Ball, at least he's interesting because mm-hmm. he's such a famous name. People would. Do you want think he has team. star potential, Lamelo? <sighs> Can't shoot. He's yeah. like his brother. Or play yeah. defense. Crazy. And well, he's never learned how to play defense. Now Lonzo can yeah. play defense. Yeah. Um, although it turned out Lonzo in the pros um, was much better. It took him a while to learn team defense. Uh, he's not a great, like, natural defensive player because you don't learn that in high school. Um, and so this Leangelo would probably be the same. I don't know if he's got the skills to become a good defender, but he's got the size. So he mm-hmm. could be. He could be. But uh, we're talking about Killian Hayes. Killian Hayes looks to me like a D'Angelo Russell at the very top end, but more like just a, um, you know, a combo guy that comes off the bench and could be better than, um, you know, Tyler Johnson. Well, and one place that I like to look at for the new draft class and who's coming out is uh, Kevin O'Connor from the ringer has his big board that he updates every year. Yes. And he does a great love job with it. Yep. And uh, you know, shout out to KOC because he always give, has love for the Suns, And he actually has Killian Hayes number one on his big board, which I find kind of interesting. Uh, maybe it's just perhaps because he's played uh, in France in professional league before. So maybe he, that little edge is kind of Luca-ish, if you will. Mm-hmm. But you look at his numbers, and he had 11.6 points Okay, he is per not game. Luca. Let's yeah, not oh, no, yeah, not, not, not even close. But, <laughs> but you know how it is now. Anytime there's an international player, they're gonna, Luca's name's going to come up. But you think yeah. that gives those players more confidence, though, now, too, because of what Luca's done? Like, you think it's a mixture? He was such a different level. It could, probably well, gives them the confidence, thing, though, but... Killian Hayes is an American player. Uh, playing yeah. overseas for a year. So mm-hmm. he's not quite the same. He's not the, um, he's not going to get cast as an under athletic guy who may not be able to make it in the NBA. He definitely has the athleticism to make it, although he's not 
he's probably not as athletic as people assume he is based on his, his dimensions. Uh, but, you know, this is all relative. I mean, he's super athletic. So I think he can be a really good player three years down the road. Do the Suns want a really good player three years down the road to be in the rotation next year? Depends on what you're looking for from the Suns. I'm looking for playoff contention next year. Yes. Not 50 wins necessarily, not 60 wins necessarily, but playoff contention all year. They had it this year. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't you go for it again next year? You keep Rubio as your point guard. We'll talk about that a little bit later, I see on the show notes. Um, and, and you go for actually winning a lot of those close games next year and being in contention. Um, Killian Hayes doesn't really help you there next year. He helps you three years from now. Completely agree. I mean, if, we're, if this is three years ago, yeah, he's, he makes sense. But I'm yeah, not- I tell you what, uh, there's also the factor of this being a really bad draft. Where would mm-hmm. Killian Hayes, we don't really know yet because we haven't done all of our draft research. So, but I feel like Killian Hayes would not be um, one of the top players last year. Agreed. I, I don't know if he'd be lottery. Definitely no. not even lottery in 2018. Yeah. He well, might have been yeah. lottery last year, but he might not have been lottery in 2018. Yeah. Um, is he better than, he's worse than Josh Jackson as a prospect. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, everyone knew this draft this year wasn't that great. So, yeah, uh, that's so why let's I put this all in perspective. It. As far as ceiling, Josh Jackson had a much better projected ceiling than Killian mm-hmm. Hayes does or anybody in this draft class. So, use that as your barometer of can't miss versus gotta haves versus, okay, if we can't find anything better, let's do it. You know, um, uh, is he higher ceiling than Camp Johnson? Probably. But is yeah. he more likely to reach a higher ceiling than Cam Johnson? Probably not. Yeah, and I think that Cam has a better floor. You know, his, his floor Cam's is right. That's low. what I mean. Yeah, Cam's more likely to reach his predicted ceiling, mm-hmm. which to me is uh, James Jones, which yep. is great. 17-year yep. career. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think um, uh, Cam has a much higher floor than Killian Hayes. Killian Hayes could be Jalen LeCue, for all we know. Which True. I know a lot of people think Jalen Q's the second coming, but he couldn't hack it in G League last year. Exactly. That was really a red shirt year in G League. So he's going to have to make huge progress to suddenly become, a, uh, you know, the unstoppable force he kind of looked like in his highlight videos. Well, and that's what he is. He's, he's a collection of highlight videos. He can't shoot, can't play defense. Although who does play defense in the NBA anymore? But uh, he just he's a highlight reel waiting to happen with all those dunks, which who knows how that translates to the NBA. But we'll, we'll stay on course here because we could go off on Jalen LeCue. I think we did on our last pod when we had uh, Flex on as well. Uh, a couple other things on Killian Hayes, just the numbers. 29.4% from downtown while playing in France. You know, so – yeah, can't not shoot. that great. <laughs> no. So he comes in as a shooter who can't who shoot. Who can't shoot, exactly. Ooh. You know. Yeah, that's one of his weaknesses though, for sure, yeah. right? Yeah, he's without a, a doubt. But he but in all of his highlights, he's shooting. Exactly. They're trying to sell you on the fact that <laughs> you know his <laughs> yeah. shot is is it, it's a good looking stroke, but it just doesn't go in from deep. Uh eighty seven point six percent from the free throw line, five point four assists. Good. Actually, the free throw line numbers are a really good sign. Mm-hmm. Josh Jackson shot under fifty percent in college is one year and we assumed he would be a better shooter and he's not. So yeah, free throw shooting. And that's the same reason, um, total tangent here. Sorry, but Deandre Ayton will eventually shoot threes because he makes 85% of his free throws. Oh yeah. Um, so he's got the, he's got the feel. He just has to get the feel at that distance, um, or any distance beyond the free throw line. But, um, 
that's so that's a good sign. He might become a shooter, but you know, twenty nine percent in France with that's bad. That's not good. <laughs> so so to carry on that tangent because I like that tangent. Do you think that DeAndre's not shooting threes because he lacks confidence, or he doesn't want criticism? because he's not making the threes and you know, cause anytime he shoots an elbow oh. jumper and he misses it, everybody's like, just take yeah. it to the hoop and dunk it, man. What are you I'm doing? Gonna, look, I'm going to have, I'm going to go into my psychology mode. Okay. And this is really boring. doctor. People are Dr. King. Yes. This is <laughs> going to be really boring, but um, Deandre Aiden, when he came to the NBA was afraid to play defense, like help defense. Like he didn't want to embarrass himself. So he didn't go and defend the rim very much. He didn't go and jump out on the perimeter. He got himself stuck in the no man's land way too often because he was indecisive, couldn't decide what he was going to do. His second year, all of a sudden, he's a monster on defense. He's relatively speaking, he's a pretty darn good defensive player. Mm -hmm. And relatively to the league, not to him, like relatively to the league, he's a, he became a guy who wasn't afraid to defend the rim. He wasn't afraid to track his guy who, if, he guy, if his guy did beat him off the dribble, he wasn't afraid to track him all the way to the rim and block him. Um, he's, he's proud of himself on keeping blocks in play, like to keep, because most, most blocks, if you watch them, most blocks go to the other teams, or the other team as a side out, right? Yep. DeAndre Ayton kept more than, more than half of his blocks in play and, and rebounded him himself to turn the ball over to, his, to the Suns. That's like a dude who just overthinks what he's doing before he decides to start doing it. So if you can project that to the rest of his game, and plus one day Ricky Rubio goes, dude, try a spin move. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. Remember yeah. That? yeah. And all of a sudden he was doing a spin move almost every game. Yep. Like all he, all he needed was someone to turn his light on. So he's got a mental block against shooting a three. He talked about it all after almost every game last year. Doug. Dude, I told Ricky I was ready to shoot a three. Then all of a sudden I got my third foul and I couldn't blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like he talked himself out of taking three-pointers more often than anything. So when he decides to start taking threes, he's going to be fine. So uh, I think it's a mental block on him deciding that he's not a three-point shooter. He got it in his head because he took him in college. Yeah. Uh, he got it in his head. He's not a three-point shooter. He's a center. And he's going to focus on that and get good at that. So we need to stop busting his balls over this. The Suns were pretty good, and he was really good defensively. And let's yeah. just let him do one building block at a time. The dude's like a, you know, building blocks. Yeah. So, um, I think he's going to become a, not a Carl Anthony Towns, nine shots a game, three-point shooter, mm -hmm. but he's going to be a three-point shooter. He'll be a better one than Joel Embiid. He'll probably be on the line. No, I'm not comparing him to Marcus Gasol, but he's going to be like a, when Marcus All decided he was going to start shooting threes, all of a sudden he was a 35% shooter and he'd take three or four a game. That's what DeAndre is going to do one day. Hopefully it's not five years from now. Hopefully it's next year. But mm -hmm. one of these days he's just going to decide. No, I'm looking forward to that day because yeah. I, think, I think he's got it in him. You know, he's definitely – And he's, you, like, like I said, you said, he can shoot. He's got the touch. Yep, exactly. He's done, he, it's a beautiful form. And he's had, yeah. That was one of the appealing things of him coming out of college was the fact that he could shoot the ball. You know, that's one thing that Amari Stoudemire had to learn. DeAndre came into the league with it. He just doesn't have the confidence to unlock it. So, Amari Stoudemire was a little bit older, but yeah, the year that Amari Stoudemire – well, not when they started, but um, by the time Amari did what I'm talking about here, he has arthroscopic surgery mm -hmm. after year four or five. And um, he was a little bit older than DeAndre. The year he was out recovering from his – sorry, my, uh, microfracture surgery, the year he was out, he taught himself a jump shot because he couldn't do anything else. 
all he did was he taught himself to sh- how to shoot 20 footers. He never became a three point shooter, but yeah. he, he became a threat Remember when, Oh, oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. Oh seven. He was the, his, his most, most lethal because he didn't, he didn't do the acrobatic dunks anymore, but he did. He could take a 20 footer or he could take you off the, off the dribble and he could just dive and, and slam it. Um, he told, he told us that he, well, not me, cause I wasn't covering the team at the time, but he told the media that he taught himself to shoot when he had a year off. DeAndre has a chance right now in this quarantine doing nothing but shooting jumpers. Whether he does it or not is up to him. He's younger. He's only 21. He thinks he's like, he's building toward it. He thinks he has all the time in the world. He's a dude who thinks he's invincible. He's got all the time in the world. So I don't know if he's going to, but this is a great opportunity to shoot yourself, to teach yourself how to shoot. Yeah, but you see them even before the game. DeAndre Aiden, he'll shoot like the, the threes, kind of like what Alex Len used to do. I remember always yeah. watching him. He used to shoot the corner threes, but DeAndre does it too, and he actually shoots like just around, just like around the world. He makes almost everything, so it's just like he has yeah. to like just have the confidence, like you said, just to do it during the Alex game. Alex made almost everything too. And yeah, I know exactly. Year, right, he went to Atlanta. Yeah. And all of a sudden he started shooting threes yeah. and he made almost 40%. He made 35%, 36%. That's all DeAndre needs to do. All DeAndre needs to do is turn that light switch on and he's good. Yeah. All right. So back to uh, Killian Hayes versus yeah, Halliburton. No, no, no. That's, fun. That's, great. <laughs> that's great. So the second guy that everybody keeps talking about is the sophomore from Iowa State. He's six foot five. Uh, if you look at his per 40 numbers, because it's always different with college and how they kind of, they're you know, obviously the the length of their games and whatnot, but his, his per 40 number, 16.6 points per game, 6.4 rebounds per game, seven assists per game, and he shot an effective field goal percentage of 61.1%, and that's Tyrese Halliburton. So what do you guys think of this guy? I think he is better than the other guy. But um, he, uh, <laughs> he shoots a three better, so he was 41% or more in the last two years. That's how he was shooting from three. Uh, again, um, he's confident. He's a guy that can run the break, finish the break. Uh, he's long too, seven foot wingspan. So it kind of reminds you when you watch, like, kind of like Mikel Bridges. Uh, he looks like him okay. out there, but as a point guard, kind of gangly. Me, all yeah, very gangly. Like he doesn't yeah. have his body yet. He's very yeah. gangly. Uh, but he he's a great um, he's a great passer. He can he has great vision. But the thing is, like, he'll see the play ahead of time, so he'll make the pass to the pass like the hockey assist to where mm. he'll, he'll pass the ball and then actually, you know, give a nod or something to the other guy where to pass the ball next. That's what I saw a lot in his highlights. So that was very interesting to me. Um, I know they compared him to Shea Gildress, Alexander. Yeah. I don't know who he really looks like. I guess Shea Gildress would be a thing. Uh, I know Sam Cassell too as well, but he just looks different than me, uh, different from any of those other guys. But also his, his shot, though it takes a little bit of time to actually get up there but he's pretty efficient with it okay yeah i think him i think of him like a lonzo ball okay so when i watch him play he's kind of gangly he's got a lot of um he can make really good passes he can take really good but he he doesn't have a great offensive game he doesn't have a great playmaking game where he can run the show like a ricky rubio i mean look we need to recognize how good Ricky Rubio is at running the show. The dude is a maestro. Um, He's getting a little long in the tooth and he never figured out how to shoot a basketball. Uh, So those are frustrating things. I get it. But that dude is maestro. And when you see anybody else running the offense, it's kind of like the old Steve Nash days, not comparing him to Steve Nash, but 
when you take Ruby, Ricky Rubio off the floor and you put Elliot Kobo in there, it's like uh, we forgot how to play basketball. Yeah. Everyone forgot. And you know what? We all forgot how to play. We, we all recognize that kind of play from the two years prior yeah. because we didn't have any point guards. So let's appreciate Ricky for who he is. Um, Halliburton, Tyrese Halliburton is not going to be that good, a deep, that good of a playmaker, but he can make plays. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you could think of him if you loved um, if you loved DeAnthony Melton or Javon Carter. He's kind of a longer version of those where he's going to do all the little things. He's going to make all good plays, but he still can't shoot great and he can't pass like the best passers. But he's a dude you want out there doing stuff next to Devin Booker. So I would actually like him mm-hmm. on the Suns next to Devin Booker because – He's kind of like um, the kind of player that Booker needs next to him, which will do a bunch like a like you said, Mikel Bridges. You bookend him, bookend Booker with Mikel Bridges and Killian and and sorry uh, Tyrese Halliburton around him, and that's going to be a fairly effective defense because they can cover for Booker when Booker uh, fades out. You know, he's thinking about his next shot that he's going to take on the other end. Mm-hmm. I think. Uh... If he does get drafted by the Suns and you have him and you have Bridges, to Dave's point one, I feel like our defense becomes clearly better. But two, we would have two people on the all-NBA gangly team. <laughs> you know? I think Brandon Ingram would be on that team. God, who else would be on that team? Who else is gangly? It'd be Brandon Ingram, Mikael Bridges, Tyrese Halliburton. Oh, uh, let's see. Shoot. Well, you've got Shane the old Gilders Corey Brewer enemies. clan. I mean, this is the Corey <laughs> Brewer all-stars is what you've got here. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I I haven't seen any of these guys. I mean, thank you guys for watching some video. I still haven't even watched yeah, video yeah. on these guys because I'm just not excited about this draft. I honestly said, like well, I said before. Halliburton I think- looks longer like he's like a spider, like uh, Matthew was saying. He looks like he's got all arms and legs right now. He makes a bunch of plays, but he doesn't he doesn't look as smooth as Killian Hayes. Killian Hayes looks smooth out there, but doesn't make all the plays, whereas Tyrese Halliburton just makes plays. Um, he forces Malcolm it. Brogdon might be a good Ooh, I like Malcolm Brogdon. Kind of comp, although Brogdon's a little thicker. Yeah. Brogdon's got yeah, he more is. heft to him than uh, Tyrese Halliburton has. But the kind of thing where he comes in he does all the stuff on the court that you need a guy to do, and he lets somebody else be the star. That's not. There's worse things out there. Agreed, agreed. But I think it's, again with Ricky Rubio, the Suns fans just appreciate Ricky. We got him for a couple yeah. more years. The guy's really good. He, you know, he's what second, third in the NBA in assists. Appreciate that. Yeah. We don't need to have the Russell Westbrooks out there dunking from a point guard standpoint. We need a guy to orchestrate the off the offense. His shot's looking better now that Booker's, he's been working with Booker, so his shot has improved. It's still not the smoothest, prettiest thing you've ever seen, but it goes in a lot more than it Look, used Rubio to. Look, Rubio is actually one of the best Sun shooters off the catch last year. He was great. <laughs> he was yeah. ugly as it looked. Yeah. yeah. He was one of the best off the catch. It, terrible when he's got the ball in his hands at shooting. That fall away uh, lefty leaner, I mean, he practices those, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but that's only to create separation he can't yeah. otherwise get. That's like so, that Steve Nash thing. That's the one, the shot that Steve Nash added. Oh yeah. Yeah. But Steve Nash figured out how to take that shot. Like you're saying, Matthew, um, almost prone. Like by the time he let it go, he would create that kind yeah. of separation from the big man, but um, it, it got the shot off and it worked. Yeah. <laughs> so, Ricky's doing that same kind of weird thing. Um, look, he's not, he's not a great scorer. 
Um, the Suns are obviously better when he can score 20 points because he does everything else so good. There's a reason the Suns win almost every game where he scores 20 points is because he does everything else so well mm-hmm. that yeah. you just need him to be propped up it is 10, 12, 13 points a game yeah. uh, instead of expecting him to score 20. Cause I'd much rather have him personally, much rather have him than D'Angelo Russell next to Devin Booker. Agreed. Yeah. 110%. And he's not, and he's not overpaid either. I think he, the money he's making is perfect. Honestly. He's, he's, yeah. he's the mid tier point guard and mid tier yeah. pay on point yeah. guards. All right. So speaking of Rubio, I was, uh, I was reading a piece by Gina Mazzell on the athletic this week, and she was interviewing John Hollinger from ESPN and he was, talking about the Suns, and one thing that caught my eye, and I, I want to get your guys' thoughts on this, was one quote that he had. He said, uh, finally, one completely outside-the-box thought. The Suns could use the cap room and go all out for Toronto, Toronto's Fred Van Vliet, make him the starter, and trade Rubio for a power forward. So after we just praised oh. Rubio, let's talk about trading him for a power forward. <laughs> what, do you, what do you guys think? You can go ahead. Uh, gosh, you know what? I'm I'm sorry, but I'm an unabashed Rubio fan. Um, you came to the right podcast then, because so yeah. are we. <laughs> are you okay? Oh, we love Rubio here. We call uh, him Papa Ricky. It's just I think he's just totally he's just totally un- underappreciated for this team. And when you've got a team of Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton and Mikel Bridges and Kelly Oubre and all these guys who are just they need a a dude. They need basketball Jesus to get them. Yes. You know, all working in the same direction. And when Ricky's out there, the Suns are really good. And when Ricky's not out there, the Suns were not. So they need to focus on backup playmaker, not replacing Ricky. Mm-hmm. So Fred Van Bleet, the dude is good. He's really good. Yes. Um, they could probably get him for Malcolm Brogdon money, which is uh, sadly in the $22 million a year range. Um, it's just sad that this is the price of, of players these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? The Suns would be fun. And Fred would be pretty good, but Fred's great as not your main guy. I mean, I just don't know if he's yeah. like your main guy who's going to lead everybody to the promised land, but he could be, you know what I could be, maybe I'm underselling Fred. I wanted him before when he was a great um, Jack of all trades guy. And remember he was like on the market for in the 10 to 12 million a year. Yep, range. Yeah. And then the final Now he's happened. in the 22 to $25 million range, yep. depending on, Look, uh, the cap could go all haywire. The cap could go down by 10, 20, 15%. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, nobody's getting any money. That's mm-hmm. true. And then Fred could be a bargain again. But I don't think he's the dude who is your promised land guy. I know Toronto is so good, but they're good for a lot of different reasons. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure Fred's the one. Um, and I just, you know, maybe, you know what? Maybe I'm the problem because I want to keep Ricky. Maybe we should want Fred Van Vliet. But I just I'd rather keep Ricky yeah. and bring in Fred to 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 be a third guard in the rotation rather than trade Ricky for a power forward. Why not just sign Fred hmm. and just have him as a third guard? You could. There's a thought. You could. Yeah. If, well, like you said, if the cap money does go down because of the pandemic, and there's an opportunity to get him for you know 50 percent of what his normal pay is, then I would or even yeah yeah 15 I, a year yeah that'd be perfect. A year? I, that, for I would actually backup. Yeah. I would too, because you have right or now. Ricky becomes the backup, but at least Ricky's there. I want Ricky yeah. there, oh, yeah. yeah, in a huge role, <laughs> yeah. 25, 30 minutes a game, like he was supposed to play. Look, if Ricky could have played twenty-eight minutes a game, he'd have been good all year. His problem, yeah. Ricky's problem, was he got super tired because oh, yeah. of playing year-round for ten straight, fifteen yep. straight years. 
And so at 28, he's really got the body of a 40-year-old. And so you're going to play really good. He played really good through mid-December and then really bad through early to the All-Star break and then mm-hmm. suddenly really good again. Mm-hmm. Having Fred as that third guard, that'd be incredible. So you don't need a power forward at that point. Yeah, you wouldn't. The, no. We had the three. Because well, you got Mikel. Yeah, you, you got Mikel and Kelly rotating a power forward. I'm good. So it's okay to have a point guard for two years in a row, I think, right? Like we can have Rubio for two <laughs> yeah. years. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Um, the only thing is if we do get Fred Van Vliet, like this thing pulls off. I don't know what power forward we would get. But also I think that would be Fred Van Vliet would start next to Booker. And I think there would be a lot of point book that would happen if he were to join the team and Rubio would be gone. Um, so I wouldn't want that. I mean, like you said, maybe we can have a three-headed point guard thing again, but then also Booker's more of a shooting guard or a wing. So that might actually work. But uh, I just want to stick with this lineup. I don't want to mess with it at all. Mm-hmm. Fred Van Vliet in 2018. If only, if only there was a dude like Brendan Clark available at 10 this year. Oh, I know, right? Oh. <laughs> that would have been perfect. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you, you uh, sign Fred and you draft Brendan Clark. Well, didn't everybody Ooh. want him though? Playoffs. Brandon Clark. I think everyone thought the Suns were going to get him. So I wanted him. Yeah, yeah. I did too. I, I did. tweeted immediately after they traded down to six. And here's Brandon Clark. Yeah. We all wanted him. And then you I hear Cam Johnson. It's like for what? the next twelve straight months. I just didn't have to like relive it every minute of my day. I'm <laughs> yeah. not a dude who lives in the past. I'm a dude who lives in the present and the future. And and so I didn't have to relive it every day. So I didn't harp on it constantly. But I wanted Brandon Clark. I wanted him bad. He was perfect. Yes. He was actually fit James Jones mold perfectly. The power forward version of James mold, James Jones, a little bit older. Um, he's got, he's sneaky. Good. He can do uh, the, the fact that Brandon Clark actually came up with one of the best floaters in the game was a shocker to everybody. He wasn't supposed to be a dude who could make actual shots. Um, he was supposed to be a defensive player who could, who could make some dunks and, and be kind of like an unskilled dude, relatively unskilled. That's why he wasn't a big prospect going into his senior year at age 23 or 22. Um, But having said all that, Brandon Clark would have been a perfect James Jones draft pick, but he acquired Dario Sarge in that same draft. Yep. And so not that Brandon was ever on their radar, but he should have been, and he should have been on the team with Dario. Um, but I love Cam, and I'm going forward with Cam. I just wanted to say that for a moment because people have have uh, accused some of Sun's Twitter for not harping on the past enough, and I just don't want to do that. Yeah, you can't. You can't go back. Even though John and I go back almost every other pod. You <laughs> well, you go there. back to Suns We'll do it teams, for you. Not yeah. guys who – I go back yeah. all the time. I've been around since the 80s but um, in, in Suns land. But um, you don't have to go back to guys we could have had all the yeah. time oh I yeah mean, jesus that'll drive there's 450 players a year we could have had exactly and you know what i'm i'm still a fan of having cam because i think in the long run it don't get me wrong it wouldn't nice been to have brandon clark but cam's gonna fit yeah this team and he's gonna play cam's, a big part cam's when we, a longer james johnson he's perfect or james jones james, no it's, it's yeah it's it's spot on what are your thoughts matthew on uh, getting fred van vliet i know we used to talk about him before, what two or three years ago yeah, uh, he was a viable option, and we were big fans. And then, of course, the NBA Finals happened. His price sky- skyrockets, and well, I mean, I mentioned before. Of course, I'm going to stick with Rubio. Um, in 2018, I think that's when the Suns. I don't know if the Suns actually wouldn't have tried to get him, didn't they? I don't know if they made an offer. I know when he resigned with Toronto, he started out the season actually Who's playing Fred? terrible. Yeah, yeah, Fred Van Vliet. 
So it's kind of like, oh, we missed on him. But then it came around to the playoffs and then to the championship where he played great. Yeah. Um, I know last year he improved. His numbers improved drastically. Um, well, he's definitely not a Ryan McDonough guy. And it was still McDonough at the time. Yeah, true. What does that mean? Yeah, like, he's good. Fred he's good? Is, <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, Fred, um, Ryan McDonough is obviously was going for the rebuild where you've got super athletic guys who just need to learn how to play basketball okay. but not give them guys who can teach them basketball. Fred is a <laughs> dude who has no, almost no athletic ability. He's like Jared Dudley of point guards. Yeah. And he's figured out how to make himself super valuable. Mm-hmm. And he's going to have a 15-year career in somebody's rotation making finals for the rest of his career. Very similar to uh, that kind of guy, like a Jared Dudley. Um, So, although Dudley didn't make it to finals teams until this year with the Lakers, but um, that's the kind of guy that Fred is basically. Um, Yeah. And that is not a Ryan McDonough profile. So, until you're 35, and then he brings you in at that. (laughs) Yeah. But 27 is way too middle of the road. Yes. You got to be 22 (laughs) or 19 or 34. Those are the only ages Ryan McDonough recognized in the in the the U.S. Oh God, (laughs) we 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 really need to do a podcast going back and just bashing the McDonough. Oh man, solar panel, sun solar panel. We are doing a. If you're not, if you haven't listened to it yet, listen to it. I'm going to do a quickie plug. We are going to put Ryan McDonough on trial for the next. Oh yeah, I saw that. Yes. (laughs) Are you getting the wig? Is no, Tim, no, I don't know. Wig? I told I told Tim to get a wig, yeah. but I don't know if he can find one. But <laughs> uh, we're going to put Ryan McDonough on trial. Greg's going to be the defense attorney. Yeah. I'm going to be the prosecutor, and, okay. and Tim's Tim's the judge. That's and, fantastic. Uh, for three weeks in a row, we're going to we're going to talk awesome. about Ryan's legacy. <laughs> yeah. All right, so you, you guys got that, that covered amazing, then. I'll tune I'll tune into that one for sure. That yeah. is. Yeah, you can cover what we didn't, what we failed to cover. (laughs) (laughs) The cleanup, okay. (laughs) Yeah, cleanup, exactly. (laughs) All right, so the next thing I want to talk about is Ashish Mator. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. Uh, Clutch Points stated this week that Suns General Manager James Jones should try and acquire the sharpshooter he tried to get at the 2020 trade deadline, and that's Detroit Pistons shooting guard Luke Kennard. If the money's right, I think he's a good acquisition because we do need that backup two guard. It's one thing that has been a glaring weakness for the Suns. It's what's caused Elliot Kobo to get so much playing time is because they're constantly trying to do that. You know, Booker's always on the court or Rubio's on the court, so you need somebody to come in as a two guard when Rubio's on the court and ends up being a Kobo, and he's so lost in the sauce. He has no idea yeah. what's going on. We yeah. mean on me. And I think that Kennard would be a good addition. What do you guys think? If the money's right, of course. I was actually excited about that. I, I thought that too. would be a good acquisition. <laughs> um, I thought it was funny that he had tendonitis in his knees and he couldn't play when the Suns already had six guys off, you know, out yes. at the exact same yeah. time the trade deadline was happening. Um, but I thought he'd be a good addition. He's a player. He can play basketball, which is James Jones's favorite profile of, of, of at basketball player is basketball players. <laughs> I yes. just love that he likes basketball players. I know. Isn't that a crazy uh, thing for a general manager to <laughs> possess? Not athletes, basketball players. So yes. um, uh, Luke Kennard, 40% three-point shooter. He can play make a little bit. He, he'd be a great rotation guy. The, all the positives we were talking about with Killian Hayes. Yes. Uh, Luke Kennard can do now doesn't have the highest ceiling as Killian Hayes has, but also doesn't have the floor Killian Hayes has. So I would love to have him as a third guard in the rotation. What do you think, Matthew? 
Yeah, you don't really want that ceiling either because I want an actual guy to come off the bench. I don't want someone to actually fight to get in the lineup. I know he started in Detroit. I think it's well, 20, I mean, let's 25 honest. games we early in the season. Who are good enough yeah, to I know. I was just going to say that. It's like, who else do they have on their team? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if he's like, hey, I'm starting here. Why can't I start it with the Suns? But uh, oh, I yeah. just, you I don't mean, want to disgruntled. That's no, you exactly. don't. Yeah. Exactly. Right, right. But right. He, should, he should be healthy by next year. I mean, you got this whole layoff, and then I'll also just wait till next season. Yeah. So I don't think the injury is going to be a big deal. I, I would love to have him. Again, he was like one of those names, like Luke Kennard. It's like, what? Who is this guy? But then you look him up, it makes yeah. sense. So I'm isn't excited. It, isn't it funny how the Arizona Cardinals went and got a linebacker from Detroit, last name Kennard? Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 They're, I, they're I, making I all the right moves. That. Yes. I tweeted that when the Arizona team finally gets Kennard yes. <laughs> from Detroit. Yes. What made me so pissed off about that whole time frame right there, if you guys recall, as I'm sure you do, is the Suns got spanked by the Pistons by Andre Drummond. They traded him the next day. It's like, couldn't they have traded him earlier yeah. that day? And but let's then they win got spanked again without. I know, Drummond. I know. Yeah. <laughs> what did we play like after Suns that? Just had it. Like Detroit had the Suns' number for some reason. Like mentally, we played Suns like didn't Orlando show up to either that. game. Yeah, they didn't show up to either game against Detroit, yeah. and it was completely different roster both times. God, that's, that's the, the sign of a young sure. team, though, and yeah, that and and Ricky helps with that, and having mm-hmm. more, even more prime vets like James Jones talking about can help with that. The big problem there is they, that a lot of their prime vets were injured at the time they were playing Detroit. They just mm-hmm. didn't have all the right players. <sighs> this was a very frustrating season. I mean, we've, it we've all put it out of our minds because it's been like suddenly shut down the world and think about something else. But frustrating as hell season because the Suns had, were so close to being good every day, but they yes. kept losing people. Yes. Right when they, they start to get a little bit of rhythm – another guy gets injured yeah you know, kaminsky yep. being gone was huge too i mean all of a sudden Kim, we lose Frank talked a guy. about it you guys listen to his no, podcast I, no I, I didn't so they, they don't he's so hit and miss uh but he, he they did like three podcasts during the initial stages of the of the quarantine and with his buddies that um that tag along with him because he makes all the money um <laughs> and he was talking about he's like dude that is a good team i love the suns i want to play for the suns forever it's a great team mine's a great coach the guys are great it was just so frustrating everybody getting hurt all the time yeah. it was just so frustrating i can't wait to get these guys back he was like excited at the time that if they had a month break he and kelly would both be healthy and the suns would suddenly come back strong and of course other teams get healthy too but you know what the suns yeah. were good when yes. they had almost yeah, they all their players you know they didn't have one game with the whole roster? Not one? I thought they had one. I thought they had No, the one. opening night, they were without Cam and Ty. I think it yeah. was one game. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you're right. Opening <laughs> night. They won by 29 over the Kings. They didn't even have yeah. – Cam and Ty might not have played much that night, but they didn't have them. That was a fun um, So, But in the one game they did have almost all their top guys, they won by 29. So, <laughs> and see, uh, they were, they are you hearing this good. sons listeners? Cause again, this is one Jeez. of the reasons we continually say don't draft a point guard, stick with this current lineup that we have develop that bench and add a piece behind it. That's, that's what's yeah. going to get this team. Well, over the hump. Look, you can draft a point guard. I'm good with that. Just don't replace Ricky, like draft a point guard to play behind Ricky, assign a point guard to play behind Ricky. That's what I'm saying. Bring Fred in. Awesome. Pay him 17 million awesome in a rotation with ricky and devin keep javon carter forever please please yeah keep <laughs> yeah. javon carter coming off the bench that's for sure it's not gonna happen get rid of ellie 
Uh, you know what? Um, I want to talk about Ty Jerome really quick in this whole yeah. scheme of things. Mm-hmm. I think Ty Jerome really needed an adjustment year. I think he's a good player too. He knows how to play basketball. Um, you can't say he doesn't have the athletic ability to play in the NBA. He just has to figure out how to use the athletic ability he has. Yes. He has as much as Jared Dudley ever had. And we keep going back to Jared Dudley. I mean, the dude, you can play basketball in the NBA with marginal athleticism if you know how to create separation. And Ty already knows how to do that offensively. He knows how to get a guy on his hip, on his back hip, and drive in and get a, get a floater. He just has to know when to take the shot because yeah. he doesn't, he's not used to the centers being so athletic that, they yeah. can, that he, he can't get in quite as deep as he used to when he has a point guard on his hip. So he just watched Devin either jump really high so you've got more separation on release or you take the shot sooner but don't be like Javon Carter sorry Javon but don't shrink when you're in the paint and become smaller than you already are yeah extend yourself like Devin does and get up high and get that release then you're going to be okay um and defensively he's got active hands like Jared Dudley always had um and I know I'm using Jared way too much in this podcast but you don't have to be superior athletic, superior athleticism, athleticism to be really effective in the NBA. No, I completely agree. I think that uh, he just, he looked a little lost out there and it's because he had to adjust from that NCAA yeah. game to that pro game. You could see the skills out there. There were times where he'd come out and he'd look really good. And then all of a sudden he'd start shooting shots that he just shouldn't be shooting. Yeah. There's no one else out on the court and, and again, the, the, everybody's longer. Well, than and then not taking the shots he should be. Exactly. He went through yeah. a period of time where he was afraid to shoot his threes. Like he's yeah. a three point shooter and he really, he passed up three point shots for about a month there. And it's like, dude, that's what you're here for. Just take the freaking yeah. shot. Yeah. He's you could tell he didn't really know what he was doing on the court, yeah. but um, even like, I've never seen a guy pressured like him though, ever where he gets yeah. the ball inbounds and all of a sudden a dude's on a full court the whole I time. Do? The whole game. Goran Dragic. Oh, dry. oh yeah. you know what? Yeah. Remember back yeah. in 08, dude yeah. was hounded constantly. And we all thought he wasn't going to make it in the NBA because he had no ability to get the ball across midcourt, you know, when he got trapped. Second year, all of a sudden he figured it out. There's another yeah. dude. Goran Dragic had, did not have great athleticism. He had good athleticism, mm-hmm. but not great. He figured it out. Yeah. And he became an all-star. We believe in Ty Jerome. Yes. I believe in him. So I, I would I would bring in a combo guard over a point guard if you're going to draft a dude. Yeah. So you or give Ty Jerome a chance to, to win the job as yeah. a backup. All right, well, here we go. Speaking of the draft, this is actually something that Dave wrote for Bright Side of the Sun this week. And I thought it was really interesting. Everywhere you go, everybody's redrafting every NBA draft class. You know, the Ringer's been yeah. doing it uh, on the on their basketball, uh, Book of Basketball 2.0 podcast. Uh, Bill Simmons and Rasilla are going back and forth doing it. And then John Hollinger and Chad Ford on ESPN redid. It's so annoying the, anymore. The, Bill Simmons is so annoying. Nah, see, we're, we're fans of Bill on well, this yeah. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, I like Bill Simmons. Him and Rasillo, I'm a big fan. Yeah, I like Ryan Rasillo. I love. I love Rasillo. Yeah, because he's a Suns fan, basically. He seems yeah. like one. He loves, but, well, he loves anyone Barkley. compared to Bill Simmons is a Suns fan. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Hollinger and Ford redid the 2018 yep. draft. And this was just, I was shocked more than anything to see kind of how it went. So I'm just going to go real quick through just the top 10 of that year's draft. It went DeAndre Ayton, Bagley, Luka Doncic, Triple J, Trey Young, Mo Bamba, Wendell Carter, Colin Sexton, Kevin Knox, and Mikael Bridges. 
And then even yeah. after that, you had SGA, Miles Bridges, Jerome Robinson, and Michael Porter Jr. So that's the top 14 picks. When they redrafted this, this is how they did. You know, they went back and forth. Ford had the first pick, and he took Luka Doncic. Then Hollinger took Jaron Jackson Jr. second. Then Michael Porter Jr. went third. SGA went fourth. Aiton went fifth. Then you went six young. Yeah, you got to consider the sources, though. So Chad Ford is a draft Nick, and he's never – he just loves, like, potential. He just – everything is potential yeah. with him. So that's why he took – so it went Ford first with yeah. Luka Doncic. Of course, because everyone would take Luka first these days. I, yes. I understand. I would. Okay. Yes. Um, Jaron Jackson – then Hollinger went with the Memphis dude because Hollinger worked for Memphis. Oh, that's right. He was the what, assistant GM there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, of course, he's going to take Jaron Jackson pick. Jr. Well, also, Hollinger is just a fan of modern NBA, you know, tools and, and advanced stats. And so, he's – Hollinger is like uh, draft Twitter's, like, god. Like, you know, you might as well have, a you know, um, a halo over his head so he's he's the dude he's the analytics dude that says give me the modern forward so um he took he wanted jared jackson jr so he's memphis and then ford goes back to all potential with michael porter Porter, Jr. yeah but even even um when denver was was really hurting on people there was a couple of times this year they had some injuries once and then right after the trade deadline they literally traded half their team to memphis i mean minnesota Mm-hmm. And Michael Porter Jr. had plenty of chances to play, and he didn't still play because Mike Miller, the coach, not Miller. God damn it! What's the what's the coach's name in Denver? I forget. Mike but anyway, Mayock. I don't know what Mike is it. May- Mayock? Mike no, Mayock. No, no, he's, <laughs> the he's he's the uh, GM in for the, La- the Las damn. Vegas Raiders. We're terrible. We're terrible. We'll dub this later, John. Um, but anyway, the coach and Mike, Mike Mike Malone. Mike Malone. Thank you. Um, he requires you to play a modicum of defense. You know, he's got Denver as a top five defensive team. Mm-hmm. Even though you have Nikola Jokic, who can't move left to right, and you've got Jamal Murray, who's worse overall defender than Devin Booker, but he's in a scheme that hides him a little bit. Michael, Mike Malone requires you to play some effort on defense, and um, MPJ does not. Yeah. Michael Porter Jr. doesn't. But you're 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 dazzled by the fact that a six eleven dude has a has a smooth stroke on a three pointer, and can drive to the rim and make a dunk. So good, good for him. So Chad Ford chose Michael Porter Jr. over the upside, the potential if he ever gets healthy. And then John John Hollinger immediately goes, "Yeah, but everyone who's seen his medicals knows he's never going to play a full career. Mm-hmm. Um, almost almost no chance he's going to do that." So, and then Hollinger comes back around with Shade Gilgis Alexander because he's back into his, his analytics mode. So, you have to consider the sources that took those four guys ahead of DeAndre Ayton. So, what you're telling me is when Bill Simmons does this, it'll be better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. um, look, there is, is, is entirely, look, there's a very strong argument that centers are defunct in the NBA. However, Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, Marcus Saul. There's centers all over the board who have driven teams to win games. Mm-hmm. And there's also non-shooting big men. If a team doesn't have a center, they still have a non-shooting big man. Draymond Green, Clint Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, Clint Capella, <laughs> right? Antetokounmpo. I can say the name. I just haven't said yeah. it in two months. Yeah, so I, I forgot don't... how to say it. I always just um, call him Giannis. But every, every good team doesn't do five out where you have five shooters they all have one non-shooter who can do other things on the court Clint Capella like you said for Mm -hmm. Houston so don't give me this crap that centers are dead no 
you've got to have a multi-talented lineup who can who can who can switch. DeAndre Ayton is perfect for that. So I don't understand why people say this game has outgrown him. It hasn't. Well, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, Aiton, you talk about the modern NBA center and what your expectations are for that position. I feel Aiton checks a lot of those boxes. He's athletic. He can defend well, the rim. Now that he plays he, defense. Yeah, well, exactly. Sure. Exactly. Now that he plays defense, but he can protect the rim. Uh, he's got great footwork. He's got a great jump shot. He can shoot. I mean, he's kind of this uh, five-tool player that nobody gives any credit to and nobody ever really talks about. And I'm just looking yeah. forward to him just shoving it up the NBA's ass and continue being a continual NBA all-star here in a couple of years. It's going to require the same thing. It's going to require the same thing for him that it required Draymond Green and Clint Capella get in the playoffs. Oh, yeah. absolutely. And people see you make a difference in a yes. playoff game. And all of a sudden you're going to get all the credit winning. Until solves then, no everything. Yeah. You got to win. Yeah. Matthew, yeah. And also, what, well, okay, so the thing is, it's like he doesn't fit in today's NBA, but I think right now the NBA changes so much yeah. year to year. And I, I think it's not even a Mike D'Antoni thing, but I think coaches really believe in their system and they're going to play whatever they want. And I think if you have the right players and those players do well, like you said, get to the playoffs and win a championship, then those are the players of the future. Those are the players that teams are going to want to draft. And I just think that DeAndre and will help the Suns get to the playoffs, and I don't know if they're going to win a championship. But I think player, or I think even this redraft thing, I don't even know how you redraft after two years. I know. We don't even know. Shea Gilder <laughs> well, is, I know he's great, but he's still not there yet. This, they even admitted it. This is way too early, and it's yeah. almost all oh, projection okay. still. Okay. Yeah, no, yeah. They, they both called themselves on it halfway through, oh, okay. both two different times. <laughs> Good. I mean, it's a, it's a fun thing to do. Yeah. I, just, I, I believe in Jaron Jackson Jr. I think he's going to be great. Um, Here's the thing with Jared Jackson Jr. I think he's going to be really obviously he's already really good, Um, but he fouls like crazy, so you can't count him in crunch time. He has no body control, really. He has no very yeah, and he doesn't rebound, so you got to have a big rebounder next to him, which is why they're when did they become successful? When they put Jonas, um, God damn it, Valanciunas, yeah, Valanciunas, no, 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 (laughs) Valanciunas. Valanciunas. I'm going to stop guessing names. And (laughs) Valanciunas is playing like um, uh, when Orlando Mm -hmm. surprised everyone and made the playoffs because they had um, Vujicic playing like an all-star type at center. Um, Gosh, centers are not dead. It's possible centers are not dead. Um, Yes. And Memphis got into playoff position because of Jonas being the dude in the middle who could rebound when Jaron Jackson Jr. did not. I'm a big fan of Memphis and how they've approached building their team. It's a fun oh, team huge to watch. Fan. Huge Love fan. Them. I hate how they have two of the guys though. I like, I like Jaron Jackson Jr. And I liked, uh, Brandon and Brandon. John Morant. I mean, yeah, they have John, a lot Morant. Of John Morant too. Those are dudes too. I wanted the Suns to get, but yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. And you know what? Right. <laughs> I'm really impressed with their coach too. And, and, uh, I don't know, Kobe Altman, I think, yeah. um, who, who really figured out how to make these guys play successfully together, even though their main players are so young. So good for him. Um, good, yeah. good, good, good for him. But I think Jonas Valanciunas really is the one who made them a respectable team because he filled in a lot of the big man gaps. If they didn't have him in the middle, you cannot have Jaron Jackson Jr. with the six rebounds a game actually oh, yeah. being your only rebounder. So and and I remember, Brandon, Clark, oh, Brandon Clark's good. Obviously I really like him too. Yeah. Um, but he's he's not really starter level at this point. 
long-term starter level. Yeah, he might not be. I remember uh, this last season, John and I went to the game, I think, where Memphis turned their season around. It was yeah. a Memphis game where Booker, game. I think Booker yes. got hurt. Yeah, and Booker it was, was like all downhill Booker had from the there. wrist thing. Going. Yes, yeah, correct. Yeah, I remember being at that game. I was like, oh, Memphis, it'll be easy. And all of a sudden, Memphis is going to be in the playoffs. We all thought that. So, yeah. yeah. So that was their, that was their wake quick. up to the, uh, the grown-up world game. No. And you yes, know what would have happened? And, and I'm still a believer in this, but we'll never know. Um, they would have faded because they're too young. Mm-hmm. And somebody else like Portland would have been at that eighth spot. But now – with this whole quarantine, it's possible they'll just be gifted or given that eighth spot and just start the playoffs. Yep. Yeah. So I don't. I don't think that regular season's coming back. I know that Silver put out something today talking about how wait till June. They don't even have to decide yeah. till yeah. June. Yeah. 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 So he June, keeps. Yeah. They just keep pushing it back. So I say just put Zion in. I want to see Zion. I know. That I want team. That team's way better to watch in the playoffs than any other team. Agreed. At the eighth spot, that would have been fantastic. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I would have. I would. Yeah, it would be great if you could just put the Pelicans into that. I know. Team. Yeah. <laughs> It's somehow the NBA is going to figure out some way. They're like, well, uh, yeah. the Western Conference gets nine teams, okay? And let's, we're only- do, <laughs> let's do a five-game remaining regular season, but um, all the New Orleans plays is Memphis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> even, even if they lose, they're still in. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> the ratings, man, the ratings. Yeah. All right, let me, uh, let me hit a couple mailbag questions from the Jamsters out there. Uh, Jamsters. I, you got to love it. You got to love it. We, pick, yeah. we, we finally picked a name, Dave. And we're sticking with it, okay? Well, I don't know if you're sticking with it. Next oh, month, I, you might change it again. No, oh, yeah, that's not, true, yeah. Not, not a chance. <laughs> Even Matthew said, if uh, <clears throat> if we ever separate the pod, I have to get somebody else who's got an M in their name just to make the jam work, So and, and, yeah. and, vice, <laughs> and vice versa. So. Yeah. <laughs> so our first question comes from, uh, via Facebook, John Snow DeVance. He says, do we ever get to the point with the losing that we start to think about moving Booker? And this is a question that... I don't know. I, it's, it's tough because I don't think that we will ever get to the point where we're moving Booker because we're losing. I think if we ever lose too much, Booker's going to want to go. We'll never move him, but he'll want to go. if the, Let's say next year the Suns come out and win 20 games again, which right. I don't think is going to happen. No. Here's the thing. It could be like Anthony Davis, um, yes. where you, you, you win enough to where you are respectable, but you don't win enough to be like the place he wants to be the rest of his career. So I don't think the Suns are going back to 20 wins a year. Thank God. I think, I think James Jones is going to get him into the 30-40 range. Problem is, Booker might want 50-60. Yeah. So we don't know if Booker's going to be happy here forever, but certainly the Suns should not be trading Booker, no. You don't trade your best player, who's still really young and at the beginning of a contract, to get better. You just don't do it. No. no. You, you don't. <laughs> Matthew? Even with that said, I think there's like a two-year window, right? I mean, it can go either way. Within two years, if the Suns aren't in the playoffs, I think he wants out, and I think maybe the Suns right. find another way to trade him for somebody else. Um, but I just think it's that two years, because he talks about a lot. I know they have a lot of interviews, and he'll, he's going to say he likes Phoenix and wants to be here. And he recently said something about he wants to be here, and he likes the obstacle of getting better every year. And he has, You know what? He has said but- that all the time every time yeah. just every recently. time yes just recently like you said matthew but every chance but he, he gets, that's what he i was gonna say it's to. like he says that but it's like how much do we believe that but also i mean two years but i just i don't know what to believe with him we'll see i just until we start really winning i just i don't know what to think honestly <laughs> i know that's terrible but well I just, look i tell you he has every right to want to be deep in the playoffs 
every yeah. player has every right to want to be deep in the playoffs. That's why role players go to winning teams. Mm-hmm. And that's why stars want to match up and pair up. And so if he can't bring stars to Phoenix, he's going to want to go to where stars are. So three years from now, he's going to want out if the Suns aren't a destination. But um, in the meantime, the Suns should not actively try to move Booker. Amen. And I oh, think uh, yeah. I think what James Jones has done with the culture in Phoenix is he's turned the corner. We have a culture yeah. now. We have a vision. And now that players are going to start to see that and they see it's not such a big clusterfuck in Phoenix, this might become a great free agent uh, destination once again, as it used to be. Yeah. All right. So my, so my next question comes from Musashi Mayoshi. What kind of impact did Monty Williams have as the new head coach for the Phoenix Suns? What grade, A through F, would you give Monty for the season so far and why? Go ahead, Dave. I've been going first the whole time. I'm sorry I'm stealing your thunder, Matthew. I, I, no, you're, no, I think we've been switching. I just okay. – <laughs> I feel like no, I always no. talk too much. Um, I have no thunder. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> I have no thunder. <laughs> <laughs> um, I or, personally – look. Um, I'm going to go back here for a minute and I'm going to go back. I'm going to try to rewind my brain to August. And I'm going to say that I predicted that Monty Williams would have the Suns playing respectable offense, but a bad defense. Because even though he came out of originally years and years ago, came out of Portland as an assistant coach from there, he came out of there as a dude who, um, had a defensive reputation. When he was in New Orleans, he was a better offensive coach than defensive coach. Um, they always struggled except for one or two years. So I expected 2025, 30 ranked defense and a 10 to 15 ranked offense. That was my expectations. So I'm going to base this based on expectations. The Suns were actually a top 20 offense, which is great, and a top 20 defense, which is better than I expected. And the Suns did it with constant injuries. Like, it was just in crazy. Yeah. The nagging injuries, not like the season ending, oh, my God, my, my leg exploded injuries, but nagging ones that really just disrupted the rhythm of the team. Because if you lose a guy for a long period of time, you can mentally adjust and, and your guys can step up, next man up, blah, blah, blah. We know what we got to do. We got a new set rotation. Well, Monty every day was dealing with day-to-day injuries. The whole freaking season was day-to-day injuries. You got um, Aaron Baines' nagging hip. You got uh, Ricky Rubio's nagging back. You've got uh, Devin Booker's nagging wrist, his, his forearm. All these nagging things. No one even knew Frank was going to be out for as long as he was going to be. Mm-hmm. No one knew Cam was going to be out as long as he was going to be. You can blame the training staff, but really, and it may be true that the training staff was part of the problem because it was their first year as NBA training staff as a group. But um, you also just say it was a weird run of nagging injuries that were day-to-day. And so Monty never knew when he was going to show up to at practice the next day. And still coming in with a top-20 offense and defense, you, I give him an A for this year. Mm. I give him an A because of that. All right, so Dave gives him an A. Matthew, what do Ooh. you give him? Well, I was going to give him a B, but I'll give him a B plus now. Ooh. And, no. <laughs> no, no, because you brought up a good point. He, there was all the injuries. He had to maneuver around that with his lineups. And then, because one of the things for me was when I would watch a game, I feel like he always would put in the wrong players. Um, Elliot Kobo, you know, like he would come in and. Look, and, okay. And you know what? Other a people. minus because he played Ellie too freaking much. <laughs> I'll take a minus. I'll give him a minus. That, that's, well, that's why I was going to give him a oh, B. And crazy. A lot of the timeouts he wouldn't call. 
in games where teams would be on a scoring spree and you would never call timeout so it was too late. That's I don't true. know if you yep. noticed that, but I noticed that every mm-hmm. – not every game, but it happened a lot to where I would give him a B for it. But a B plus also just because um, he helped Booker, I think, just become a better teammate. From the interviews before the season where Booker – where he would talk about Booker and just say, like, Booker really was into his stats. He wanted to score more. And I think he yeah. really forced Booker's hand at that to make him a better teammate. Well, and but I, he made Booker buy in. He didn't even yeah, exactly force. Like, he made it actually Booker buy in. Did I say force? In. No. Well, you did, oh. but you didn't mean it that way. I, <laughs> I just didn't mean, mean it that way. Like, there's coaches who try <laughs> to hold terrible. down their good player. Yeah. But Monty made Devin want to be held back. Like, you okay. know, and made a better player. Yeah. So A minus from Dave, B plus from B Matthew. Plus. So which is yeah. And I'm gonna just go B. And here's a couple of re- my reasons why. You guys hit on a ton of great points. Uh, I do agree with Matthew on the uh, the timeouts that drove me nuts. Whenever the team would be on a run, he would wait two possessions until he would call a timeout, and we'd give up a couple extra threes. And by that time, the Suns down twelve. And, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I had a problem with that. And and a lot of these are just you know simple coaching things that you probably don't realize in game. But another thing that kind of drove me crazy was the substitution patterns in the fourth quarter, the way that he would bring like with six minutes left, he'd pull Rubio and he'd bring him back with like three minutes left. And in that six to three minute span is a crucial time of the game. We, you know, we'll either give up a lead or we'll be further away from uh, tying the game. And I understand that, you know, Ricky's uh, has fatigue and is tired in that fourth quarter, but he never adjusted that substitution pattern yeah. in a way that allowed the Suns to be successful in the fourth. He also, so you know point, what? He was just stuck on. He had so many people out. He didn't yeah. know. What he was, yeah. But he was also blindly uh, faithful to guys. Yeah, and Elliot. I feel, I feel, yeah, exactly. Elia Kobo, though. I mean, he would almost instead of making the correct coaching decision. He would, and, and I don't like, I'm not a huge analytics guy. I don't think that, you know, you should rule your team with analytics, but I do think that they're, they do hold some value and they can, when you're in a tough situation, allow you an opportunity to uh, make a more educated decision. And the analytics on like Ellie were not that good, but he would not sub them out. And he would, he would not, you know, he'd, he'd use the entire bench Versus D'Antonio, who, who only used seven people. It's like there's got to be, yeah. you know, somewhere in between that's going to allow the team to be successful. That's the only reason I give him a B. He did a great job with his team. Like I said, he fortified James Jones's culture. I feel like he's a player's coach, and that's going to make people want to come here. Uh, DeAndre Ayton could understand him where he couldn't understand Igor Kokoshkov at all. So, I mean. <clears throat> well, I tell you what. Yes, exactly. Ayton grew and got yes. better. Devin grew and got better. And that's the end that's goal the is two growth. most important people. You know, and it this, was funny. Um, Mikel Bridges somehow screwed himself up over the summer. Remember that? Where he couldn't shoot anymore. You get yeah, he, he yeah. shot and all this crazy stuff. Um, Monty admitted in March, because he was trying to give uh, Bridges a comp. Not March, I guess it was. Was it early March? Yeah, it was early March. Mm-hmm. Um, he was trying to give Bridges a huge compliment of how much he had grown during the year. But to do that, you have to admit how bad he was at the beginning. Monty actually said, man, when we showed up this year, he's like, you know, he's, he's, I love his Monty faces. He had all the expressions were right on his face. He's like, man, when he showed up this year, it was like that dude's got a long way to go. We got a lot to do with Mikel. And look at how far he's come, you know, because and you could see it. 
in the beginning of the year, he was shooting like 10% from the field. Yeah. And he was getting pulled way too often. Like he had finished last year playing 30 minutes a game and he was only playing 20 minutes. And then all of a sudden by December, he's making 40% of his threes and he's playing almost every minute the money can keep him out there. Um, and it's just incredible to watch his growth because Mikel gets in his own head. He's another dude who doesn't want to be the alpha. He doesn't want to dominate and he gets in his own head and on defense, he is liberated. Like he'll do whatever yes. he has to do on defense and he does it all right on offense. He gets in his own head. I think Deandre is very similar, just a different personality off the court. Very gets in his head on offense. Deandre has to like turn himself on to different things he's going to do. And I hope he becomes that liberated on defense where he just plays. And um, so uh, uh, Mikel, Monty really helped get Mikel out of his head and into a player this year, but so did in that regard. So did Jay Triana the year before. So yeah. I don't know if that was earth shattering or anything like that because Mikel needed both years. He needed the whole year to grow into his role. Hopefully next year he won't have to grow into it because he'll have the same coach. Yes. And he will. And remember we coined the phrase here. That lineup is called the Bobra lineup. Don't you just have to give him an A because he's coming back next year? No, oh, I was going to say, that's why I got him a B plus too. He's going to be back. He'll be back. For, for, he didn't yeah, get fired. For now. Yeah, for now. He's, he's coming back. Season's right. not over yet. Last question, and I absolutely love this question. This is from Shilpad Hop 8 I, I, I never know if I get that one right. This person's uh, emailed the show a couple times. So thank you, Jamster, for continuing to email the show. But who was the son's – best second option was it kevin johnson sean marion amari stoudemire Al ever. alvin adams or another person that we're forgetting Whew. that's a tough one matthew I'll, yeah i'll you go know, ahead I'll, and go i'll, I'll bat lead no, off on john, this one you go i'll bat yeah. lead off on this one i was gonna say john you go um i like to talk too uh, <laughs> it's in my opinion it's amari stoudemire Kevin Johnson, the one thing that I feel – well, let's take the, the first two others off the list. Sean Marion uh, was always the third wheel except for the 2006 season. Uh, he was the third wheel. He was the guy you needed on the team right. to be successful, but he was never yep. a true number two option. He's, right. He did, what, 22 and 12 only, yeah. that one year? The only year. year he was number two option was 2003-04. Well, no, oh, when they when Amari was out with the surgery too. So he was the number okay. two guy that yeah, year. Playoffs. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And he, yeah. he had a great year, uh, but it's just not his niche. I mean, you couldn't run games for him or you couldn't right. run a, a plays for him. I mean, he's just kind of the matrix is all over the place. Alvin Adams. Yeah. I didn't see him play, uh, but just to go back and look at kind of the history of the Suns. I mean, it was primarily a Paul Westfall run offense. Adams was your down low guy, which was big yeah. in the NBA back then. But uh, I don't know, maybe, Dave, that's more your realm, I guess. Cause Ha! No, he was before my time too. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to go. I'm, I'm going to go with Amari, and my, it's real simple for me. It comes down to first teams. Okay, Amari Stoudemire made one NBA first team, and he made two NBA second teams. KJ made three NBA all second teams. So KJ did survive two eras. Okay, it was him and Tom Chambers, and then it was him and Barkley, and Amari was just here for Nash. But based on what I saw, and I started watching the Suns in like '88. So, but I was really young. Uh, just based on recency bias, I think it's Amari Stoudemire. That's a great answer, man. Um, Thank you. Man. I was gonna say I was gonna say Amari, but I, I went a little different on this. So I picked Sean Marion, but he goes what? second best, second best to the one A one B of Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire. That's what I think because I think Amari and Nash together just are pick and roll. 
whatever they brought to the offense was just combined, they were unstoppable. And I think Marion was just the perfect second guy for that. Um, so I did change it up a little bit. That's okay. I want to throw Sean Marion. I feel like the more and more we do pods, the more and more I'm on Sean Marion's side. Thank like, you. I, more and more I love this guy. Um, I Not to say I never Maybe liked the him. the jersey in John's background. Yeah, I think yeah. it is. <laughs> yeah, it might be that. But uh, I'm going to pick him <laughs> as my uh, second guy. And I think he would like to hear that, too. He's not the third guy in my heart. He's the second guy. So well, I'm, I'm, sure he I'm well, you're not paying Sean him, Marion so lover, he doesn't so. care. Oh, you. yeah, that's true. <laughs> I could pay him a little bit. <laughs> Dave, what do you think? Oh, man. Okay, so we got Stoudemire and we got Marion here. <clears throat> so Alvin Adams was before my time, so I cannot speak to him. I don't even know who the 1A was at that time. Um. <laughs> Going through, let's let's go through the sets of teams. You got the late '80s Tom Chambers as the second option to Devin, or excuse me, Kevin Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got, then you go into Barkley and KJ. Who was number two? KJ was number two pretty much during the Barkley years, but KJ was injury prone most of that yes. time. Um, even watching him, like in <clears throat> the Fox Sports Arizona, has been showing old games. Watching him in 1990, he was much more explosive than '93. Mm-hmm. Um, and so KJ, I think, was not as good a number two as Amari Stoudemire in the seven seconds or less years. Uh, Sean Marion did have a couple of years, one year anyway, during seven seconds or less, and one year before that as the number two. Um, I'm really strongly considering Marquise Chris from a couple of years ago. He was number <laughs> two to Devin. I can see that. God, uh, isn't that sad? Can you imagine? Oh, God. In the last five years, who have been Devin Booker's number twos? Let's talk about. Ooh, this is good. Let's see. So Devin, his... Devin Booker's number twos from the last five years. So okay, last. So you got Eric Bledsoe. Well, Eric Bledsoe was actually a number one. Devin Booker was number two. For yeah. Me. Yep. Um, so Devin Booker might actually be considered a number two for, for a one little season. Bit. Yeah, one season. Yeah, for like, yeah. Um, Goran Dragic was pretty good. Um, Gosh, I'm trying to think through how many when Devin since Devin Booker's been the number one option. Mm-hmm. Well, look at like last season, for example. And if you're defining number two option simply on points per game, his number two last year was TJ Warren. With okay, so I guess that's yeah. Okay. I mean, I know that Dave, you're not a big fan of that. That um, you know what TJ is great as a player. He just wasn't a great fit next to Devin because neither because they neither of them could play yeah. defense. Yeah, and then the previous year it was TJ Warren again. So Booker had twenty four point nine points per game, and TJ Warren had nineteen point six. Let's see, and then one more year. Let's go back one more year, and that is uh, when Bledsoe had less points per game than Booker by one point. Twenty two point one to twenty one point one. So that's who he's had in his career. It's Bledsoe and TJ Warren. Well, you could go the 2013-14 years and 2014-15 and say you've got your top two players were um, uh, Bledsoe and Goran Dragic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We can consider those as, as who's one and who's two. Look, man, none of these guys <laughs> compares to Amari Stoudemire. Amen. That's the end point. I got to right go there. to Amari Stoudemire. Sean Marion just wasn't the number two for enough years. Mm-hmm. And so he would have been a really good number two for more years. Um, he just wasn't the number two for enough years. It's gotta be, gotta be. I can't think of a better number two. I think KJ is close. Yes, without a doubt, KJ is close. But there were times where he was the alpha, and Chambers was, you know, number two guy. And then, he, and so he, his yeah. role kind of switched. 
Amari's role never switched when he was in the so, He was always so who number wins, two. Who wins between the 0405 team okay. and uh, the 93 team? Hmm. Actually, if you go, if watching it now with the Suns, like, do you think their team is better? Do they look better now from the 93 94 team than they were back then? Like, if you watch the, the MJ <laughs> doc, like, just watching them and seeing the people on the, the players on the court. Do you think they're I actually still really as good as what they then. were? I mean, you're talking oh, really? that was my okay. wheelhouse, man. Yeah. You guys are too young. You guys were like barely out of the womb. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, that was my wheelhouse, and that was a great – we thought it was a great team at the time. Yeah. Um, in fact, you know, the whole – basically the Bulls were the Spurs of that decade, you know. So, uh, you know, you think you can beat them, and then all of a sudden you can't. Yeah. And Michael wins it, you know, just like mm-hmm. the freaking Spurs would do in the in the seven seconds or less years. I actually think the '93 team beats the 0405 team, but probably loses to the 07 team, 0607 mm-hmm. team. Really? 0607. Amari was a little bit less athletic, but everybody else was more defined in their roles, um, and they were just they were just super good. Yeah. Well, I think that the ba- the offense of the '92 '93 team, for the most part, was give it to Charles in the block. And let him go to town, and then based off of what the or defense KJ does, drives. Yeah. or KJ drives, if when healthy. I mean, what do he play like forty something games that year? Yeah. yeah. So I think I think the 06, 07 team could beat the ninety two ninety three team just because they had a defense and and the athleticism yeah. on defense with Diaw in there as well. To potentially, I'm going to say. What do you think Charles. the Suns ranked in ninety three in defense in the league? This was the ninety. This is the defensive decade, right? Remember, everyone yes. talks about the nineties as like the bruising defensive decade and the two thousands as like the freewheeling, you know, flowing hair decade. Right. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think the sun's ranked on defense in 93? Don't look it up. Not looking it up. Uh, 29th. No, they had to be 20th, 20th out of 20. However many teams were in the NBA back then. Was it 25? Okay, now you can look it up. They were sixth. Really? They actually played good defense. <laughs> well, I guess with wow, yeah. well, you had Marley. Marley was Dan more of a Marley was guy. one of the best defensive players in the league. You know, you got Charles. Kevin Johnson was actually a good defensive player, point guard. Um, Charles, well, they didn't play pay him enough to play defense, but he rebounded a lot. Yeah. A lot. Tom Chambers West was a good defensive player. It was so funny watching that uh, nineteen ninety Lakers series when they credited the announcers credited Mark not Mark West. Tom Chambers with successfully defending James Worthy. <laughs> uh, That's a that great was, series. Chambers really fell off. That, that was, was the end of Magic, series. right there. I mean, for the most. Yeah, part. that was the end of Magic. You know, because yeah. they came out the next year, but they lost to uh, the Bulls in the finals. Yeah. Um, so that was interesting. They were. Wait a minute. They were. I think they were sixth. I might be remembering the '90 season when they were sixth, but they were surprisingly good on defense during that whole. Chambers KJ era and they stayed good with Barkley there too um so that's surprising I know uh, it would be so I think I still think 0607 wins because I just I just think Nash is closer to um the greatest player on the floor than me I don't know Charles Barkley was pretty damn good in 93 yeah, he was but again I think that Nash with what he brings to a team and involving everybody else Versus Barkley, you know, on the boards. And he was a great passer out of the block. Well, I tell you what, those Suns would not have beaten Nash up. And so Nash would have caught No, true. Nash would have. The only way the Spurs beat Nash was by literally beating him up. No, oh, yeah. We, Matthew and I, we were going back and watching games in preparation for the uh, the 0506 
son's podcast that we did. And I mean, he just got his ass kicked all the yeah. time, all the yeah. time. And between that and D'Antoni never playing more than seven people. Yeah. I mean, it's just warm down. Worn yeah. Just so worn yeah. down. I, I, yeah, I told Johnny, it looks like Tom Petty, like <laughs> by the end of the series. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for the Suns Jam Session podcast. Uh, again, make sure that you follow this on Bright Side of the Sun. You can follow me on Twitter at Darth Voida. Matthew? At Matthew Lissy. And Dave? At Dave King NBA. And you can follow the pod at Suns Jam. Make sure that you send any of your questions our way, session at gmail.com. Thank you ever so much, Sir Dave, for in joining us on this podcast. We truly yes, appreciate it, my friend. You. Thank you thank for you having me on. Of course. And uh, that's all I'm going to say, so I'm done talking. All right. Everyone, stay home and love your family. Amen. Stay home and stay safe. <laughs>